Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We consider it an honor to host you. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or on Instagram. Now let's get ready for the message. guys glad to be in God's house today. Amen. I am glad that you are here. You guys look wonderful. Uh, Before I dive into this sermon, I do want to uh, formally introduce, um, he's really not a stranger at this point, neither is his family. Uh, It's actually going to be his third time on staff here. Uh, They have recently moved back into the Lewisburg area from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, So they've been out west and made the long haul back, and they're still unpacking. Um, But you guys know this family really, really well, and they're going to be overseeing our dream team, going to be working with groups and helping our team leaders. And we are so excited. Um, And I told him this time, he actually gave me permission that if he tried to leave again, I could physically stop him. So I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if I'll have a football helmet on and pads and I spear him or what. I don't know what that'll look like, but he's given us permission. We can stop them from physically leaving. Uh, And we love this family. We've done ministry with this family for years. Um, Before he was even on staff here at Bethesda Church, the first time we we worked together in youth ministry, Uh, we teamed up, even though we were at different churches, we teamed up to do events. And so we love this family so much. And I want to invite them uh, to join me on the platform, and I'm going to ask Bethesda Church, if you would, just make pastors, pastors Jeremy and Ashley Toller, Emma and Selah, come on, let's show some love to them as they make their way to the platform today. Welcome home. <laughs> Thank you. So awesome. Love you, love you too. Wow, thank you guys so much. I love how he keeps stressing the third. I was watching the video when he announced it, and I was like, okay, you've said it like 18 times. Come on, bro. (laughs) No, so amazing to be home. Um, Honestly, it's been quite the journey, but as most of you all probably know in your journey, that's when God likes to show up and show off. Amen. So it's been crazy. We've tried a couple different cities, and it's not where we fell in love. God's given us a supernatural love for this city. So we're like, let's go home and change the world in the city we love. Amen. He had to be all serious. And I'm like, I have missed all of you. <laughs> Even the ones I haven't met, I've missed you. And if, if you come to me to say hello and you see me like looking at your kids, I, guys, it's been October 2017. So I'm like, no, your kids have not grown that much. My kid is about to drive. I mean, it's, it's been a while, but we have missed all of you so, so much. And we are so happy. This is... This is our favorite town, but it's because it has our favorite people, and we are so happy to be home. Amen. Thank you, God. Amen. Um, We are really excited that they are back, and um, we just want to pray over them. Um, We believe that God has aligned us in this season, and... um, and I, I believe that God is doing something significant in this family, but he's also doing something very significant in this church. Uh, and how many of the best days are not behind us? The best days are still in front of us. 
Um, and so we just celebrate what God is about to do. And I'm going to ask, if you would, I know we've been in worship, but would you stand with me? I just want to pray over this family. Um, anytime you make a move, especially across the country, you've got boxes, and they still haven't got all the way unpacked. they got a lot of things going on practically as they're getting their feet planted spiritually. Uh, and I just want to pray God's protection, God's strength over them, uh, and that this would be the most fruitful season of ministry uh, that they've ever experienced before. And so if you would, just stretch your hands this way as an act of faith, and I just want to pray over them. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we are so thankful, God, for pastors Jeremy and Ashley, and God, for their two girls, God, Emma and Selah, we thank you for this family. God, we celebrate what you're doing in them, what you've done through them, God, what you've done over the last three years, Father. All the things, God, that you have, have spoken into their hearts and, and, God, the plans you have put deep in their heart, God, the desires you've given them. And, God, we pray, God, as we team up in this season, there would be a fresh anointing. God, I, I, I speak fresh anointing on this family, God. Lord, give them um, eyes of vision. Give them the tongue of a ready rider. God, I pray in the name of Jesus your blessing would be upon them in all that they touch. God, that everything they put their hands to would prosper. God, I speak life over the girls right now, God, that this would be the greatest season of, of, of a relationship with you that they've ever experienced. I pray that the callings in them would come forth like never before. And God, we just pray your blessing, your strength, and your protection over this family, God. And God, we believe that the best days are in front of them, not behind them. And God, that it's going to be a fruitful season, and we declare it and decree it, and according to your word, it will be established in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give God a hand clap of praise as you give them some love? So good to see you guys. Amen. We are so honored that you are here. If this is your first time here at Bethesda Church, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I can't think of any place uh, in the world that would be better than in the presence of God. Uh, and if you're new with us, we, we do want to make you feel welcome. And uh, we just want to say to you, as we did Pastors Jeremy and Ashley, welcome home. Uh, this is a place you can belong before you believe. Um, in preparation for this message today, uh, I originally planned to go one more week on the series of Shipwrecked. We, we were in that series for about six weeks. I had a little more to say about it, but I really felt this week a, a transition as I was studying, as I was praying. And I think in large part because of where we are in the nation uh, with the thoughts of Easter coming up in two weeks, just a lot of things kind of changed the direction of the message for this Sunday, I wanted to call the message, What's Next? That's what I wanted to call it. But I, I chose not to call it that because I think sometimes when we get in the mindset of what's next, we miss what's now. And oftentimes in our preparation for what's next, God, what's next, God, what's next, God, we are missing what God is doing right now. And I want to remind everybody prophetically today that God is doing something now. It's, it's not just in the future. It's not two years from now or five years from now. God is doing something significant in the earth and within this church, and he's doing it now. So I want to call this message in the form of a question. I want to ask the question, what's now? Hit your neighbor and ask him real quick. Say, what's now? Not what's next, but what's now, what's now? Go with me to the book of Ezra, chapter number three. 
and I'm going to read a, a kind of a long passage, and I'll tie it to um, Ezra chapter 9. There's one verse in chapter 9 I want to read, um, but let's look at that. Ezra chapter number 3, it says, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of of the people in those countries, watch this, they set the altar on its basis, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offerings and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who come out of the captivity of Jerusalem, they began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons, and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord, because the found, they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the Father's house, old men who had seen the first temple, They wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Now, before I tie Ezra chapter 9 to that, there's a verse there I want to look at. Um, you, can, you can see at the end of the text, I, I love this, it says that those that saw the original temple, because the temple had been laid in ruins for quite some time, that when the foundation was set, that the older folks began to weep because they had not been able to worship for 70 years. And the new generation began to shout. 
And the Bible says that you could not discern the weeping from the shouting, but we all know everybody was excited because the construction for the house of God was being laid and God was going to be worshipped in the city of David once again. And I want to say this before I read Ezra 9.9, anything with great power also has a great sound. A 747 jet has great power, but it is accompanied by a powerful sound. If you show me a powerful church, I'll show you a church with a powerful sound. I just wonder if we got any powerful people in the house today that can make a little noise for Jesus. All right, you're getting warmed up. Got to have a powerful sound. Now, Ezra 9, verse 9, look at this. It says, For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. And I love this. To revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Anybody thankful that God has extended his mercy to you today. Amen. I'm excited he's extended his mercy to me. The setting of our text comes from the destroyed city of Jerusalem. And the city was destroyed because of the devastating power of Babylon, but also because of the children of Israel's disobedience and rebellion to God. And the Bible tells us that not hardly a stone laid on top of another. In other words, it was nothing but rubble. They had not worshipped. The walls were broken down. The gates were charred and broken. And there was litter scattered about what was once a, a proud city of Jerusalem. And the temple, the dwelling place of God, again, was nothing more than rubble. The structure was gone. The foundations were torn out. There was no altar. There was no worship. This was no longer the the proud city of David, no longer the center for worship. Now it was broken down and ruined. And I believe that what was true for the people of Israel in that day, practically speaking, what they were practically looking at is very, uh, it's a prophetic picture of what many of us feel spiritually going on in our lives I mean, when you take the fact that we are now one year exactly from when we shut down in 2020, can you believe it's been one year since we shut down? We've gone through a pandemic and an election and racial tension, and some of you, it's been jobs or the lack of a job and and trouble with finances, And, and it's left many people feeling that I don't have a hope for tomorrow, that this is the best that it's going to be. Um, we, we see so many things that have breached the walls, if you will, on a spiritual level. But I believe that it is time for the church to rise in the power that originally birthed her. That it's time that the church face the music. That revival, listen to me, revival will be our revenge. If you, get, if you believe that, give God a praise right there. If you believe revival will be our revenge. See, the seasons where people face great opposition like we have over the last year, um, it's also a season of great opportunity. Normal people have normal battles, but extraordinary people have extraordinary battles and warfare. 
I do think that we have been positioned by God in this season to make a difference. And if you've been called and anointed to make a difference in the kingdom of God, I would almost bet, if I was a betting man, if we were to have a cup of coffee together and I were to ask you about your life over the last year, if you've got a great calling on your life, you would probably tell me the last year you have gone to hell and back. Well, I want to tell you the devil should have took you out while he had a chance. The reason that you've gone through so much, come on somebody, you better help me right here. The reason you've gone through so much over the last year is because of the calling God has placed over your life and and extraordinary people do not fight like normal, common battles. They fight extraordinary battles. And for many, the warfare has been at times almost overwhelming. See, God in this season has been pruning not only your individual life, but he's been pruning the body of Christ. God in this season has allowed some things that were in you that shouldn't have been in you. Probably over the last year, it came to the surface. And I don't want you to be discouraged about the bad things in your life that came to the surface in the last year. God brought it to the surface so that you would deal with it and remove it from your life because he wanted to entrust into your hands more, but God is not going to give you more if you cannot properly steward that or manage that. And so sometimes he's got to bring our mess to the top so that we got to deal with our mess so that he can then entrust us with everything that he has promised. God knows what we can handle and when we can handle it. I've got, I've got um, three kids, but uh, I'll just talk about my boys real quick, 14 and 12. I don't give them the keys to my vehicle. One, it's illegal, but there's another reason that's a little more important to me. The second reason I don't give them the keys to my vehicle is because they're not prepared to drive yet. And I'm telling you, whatever it was that you thought you should have had in the last season that God did not give you, it's because he's a good father that knows what you can handle and when you can handle it. And so he calls some things to rise to the top, some situations to rise to the top, and made, he forced you to deal with some stuff so that when he hands you the keys that will bind, the keys that will loose, the keys that will set the captive free, you won't have all that mess to dig through in order to do what God has called you to do. Come on, somebody, give him a praise right there. It's important to understand that God will only entrust us with what we can properly steward. In Ezra's day, the people had become used to their bondage. Seventy years. They had become used to this prolonged season of difficulty and struggle. They had become used to a prolonged season of frustration. And instead of settling for, I guess it will always be like this, the prophet Ezra begins to tell us the story of how God's people decided to rise up and build. In many ways, I'm sure there are people in this room where you feel like this season, it feels a lot like rebuilding. In a spiritual sense, God is rebuilding some things in you. 
God is laying some proper foundation on the inside of you. And I believe that there is a reordering in the body. There is a restructuring in the body that God is prepping his church and his people for the greatest outpouring of his spirit that we have ever seen. And so there is a lot of reordering, a lot of restructuring, but God wants to do something so significant that he does not want us to walk into it ill-prepared. And so there were four things we see in our text as they began to rebuild. And I don't want you to think in terms of wood and stone and brick and mortar. But I want to talk about how God is rebuilding. If we're asking, now what? And and if we're looking at rebuilding our spiritual lives, what does that look like? And the first thing they did is they restored the altar. They restored the altar. The first couple verses of Ezra 3 tells us the the second part of that second verse, Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. If you're a person that has ever studied past moves of God, if you've ever looked into the history of God's spirit being poured out, I don't care what what year you look at, what outpouring you look at, every major move of God is always centered around the altar. I know we think we need this step and that step, and there's a lot of cool steps, but guys, it's got to be centered on the altar. And if it's going to be centered on the altar, we have to get past believing that the altar is just a place of blessing. Because the altar, biblically speaking, is not just a place of blessing. It's the place where we go to die. It's the place where there is an exchange so that I die so that God can live through me. The altar is the place where I decrease so that God can increase. And I know that sounds a little old-fashioned to some people, and our critics may say that's too simplistic, but the fact remains that any movement that does not require repentance of sin or the cleansing of sin, any movement that does not require that the old man die is not redemptive and therefore irrelevant to the church and to the salvation of men. We, we can point to a myriad of reasons as to why this nation is in the shape it's in. And people will yell out politics. And and yeah, there's some corruption. They'll yell out inequality. Yes, there's inequality. They'll yell out racial tension. Yes, there's been racial tension. They will say it's fine. And all those things, we need to work on all of those things, every single one of them. But at the end of the day, the problem, it has always been and will always be a sin problem. And the reason it's good news is because politics cannot answer that. The government cannot answer answer that. Jesus came specifically to deal with sin. We have the answer. The answer is the gospel of Jesus. That's why we ought to come into the house of God with expectation because the answer to the world is already in our possession. We already have it. We don't have to go looking for it. Jesus came to deal with the problem. And the problem, y'all, outside the church, and listen, in the church, is still sin. 
Some of you turned me off right there. The problem is still sin. And Jesus came to deal with sin. And, and we, we cannot underestimate the power of the altar. The reason I'm holding a microphone and preaching to you is because I had an encounter with God at an altar. The altar, the place where we die so that God can live. The place where God shows himself to be real and powerful in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer said it with such great passion. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's not the gospel we hear any longer. We don't talk about come and die. Even though Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you gotta, you got to be willing to die and take up your cross and follow me. In other words, there's some things in us that has to die in order to see God in the way that we want to see him. If you've been walking with Christ in this season, you've probably recognized that there are some things in your life that has had to die in this season. Opinions had to die. Catering to personalities had to die. Thought patterns had to die. Paying more attention to your critics than to Jesus has to die. Every one of these things has to die. Could it be that the frustration that some of us feel is connected to the fact that we will not kill what needs to die so that the God in us can come forth? Could it be that the reason we're frustrated, the reason we walk around ticked off is because... We, we will not kill what God says needs to die. As we prepare for the greatest outpouring of God's presence we have ever seen, and we begin to rebuild, the altar needs to become a normal occurrence in the church, a normal occurrence in your home, a normal occurrence in your life. Come on, if you believe that the altar is still in order, come on, y'all, don't play with me right now. I have learned in this last year that dealing with people's crazy emotions, that if I could just get them in an altar, old-fashioned altar, and allow the Holy Ghost to come upon them, it'll do more in five minutes than I can do in 15 counseling sessions. Come on, somebody. People need to encounter the Holy Spirit, but that only happens when we prioritize the altar. The Bible tells us they started clearing the rubble. What rubble needs to be removed from your heart? What sin do you need to deal with? And please don't say, I don't have sin. The Bible says if you say that, you're a liar. I think John says that. So there is sin. So please don't get like prideful in your righteousness because you ain't all that. You don't impress me. You don't impress God either. Any righteousness we have, it came from him. Any goodness we have, it came from him. Any holiness we have, it came from him. But what sin, and I'm not talking about the big ones. We get called up on like murder and adultery. But what about gossip? 
What about jealousy? What about speaking against God's anointed? Oh, yeah, you saw the, ooh. What about pride? What about the things that we don't always talk about in the church? What rubble needs to be cleared out in the Bible? And I love this. It says that the priests did not allow anyone else to help. And so what it, what it shows us and it symbolizes that those that were in the ministry had, had to carry this work. It wasn't that no one else was allowed, but what God was doing, check this out, it started in the ministers. Pastoral staff, get ready. It starts here. God's going to make sure we deal with our rubble before the people can deal with their rubble. There is an order to the things of God. There's an order to the way God moves. The Bible tells us they gathered around this rubble for the first time in 70 years at an altar in the city of God. And I believe that heaven watched in silence. And I want you to get this, ladies, don't get mad. Please don't get mad. But I believe heaven watched in silence as real men of God began to move stone after stone and put it in its proper place to make sure that the altar was set for man to meet with God. Oh, that the men of God would rise up and stop being passive and stop allowing your spouse to lead your house. In an age of displaced manhood, there is an order to the things of God. And men, it starts with you. Don't make your spouse lead your home. Don't make your wife lead the devotions. Don't make her raise the children. Where are the men of God? Where are they? You want to see a revival? Let the men of God get on fire. Let the men of God get passionate. These were men of God. And that we as men would, would get rid of the things that's stripping us of our manhood. And be men. And lead. And set things in order. If the men of God, it's been proven statistically that when the man of a house gets saved, 90% of the time, the whole house gets saved. If the kids get saved, maybe not. somebody else gets saved, maybe not. If the wife gets saved, maybe somebody else, maybe not. But if the man gets saved, 90% of the time the whole house gives their life to Jesus. Men of God, I'm going to say it, you need to build the altar first. You need to go first. You need to lead first. And you need to set the tone in your home. Come on, let's give God a praise right now. If we believe that it's time for the men of God to rise. They started with the altar. The second thing they did is they reinstituted true worship. True worship. Despite the fear of the people around them, they built the altar. And they began to offer the sacrifices. The Bible says in the morning and in the evening. They kept the Feast of Tabernacles and they offered up the daily requirements of, for offerings. Everybody began to do what was set in the law. And if you study this passage, you find out that there were three um, necessary ingredients to their worship. And you may want to jot these down, but if it's true worship, it's going to involve not just celebration. We know worship is celebration, but it's also going to involve sacrifice. 
and consecration. See, we want to take praise and worship and make it celebration, but we don't want to make it sacrifice, even though the Bible says we need to offer up the sacrifice of praise. That worship, true worship, involves celebration, sacrifice, and consecration. We offer up a sacrifice of praise. Those who returned to Jerusalem, they went back to the sacrifices. They humbled themselves before the Lord. They offered themselves in repentance and in brokenness, which is, uh, that, that's the soil that feeds revival. When the people get broken, when the people become repentant, how many know that if revival is going to break out, he didn't say if the world, he said if my people will humble themselves and pray. Revival is nothing more than renewed obedience. That's revival. Renewed obedience. Some of us, what we really need is to have our worship uncaged. Our worship has been caged. And what I mean by that, if you read John chapter 2 when Jesus... I don't know if he's your Jesus, but he's my Jesus. He went in with a whip and literally whipped people out of the temple. I know you don't want to think about Jesus like that, but I love the fact that he whipped people out. I love it. He whipped them out, but as he whipped them out, the Bible says that the sheep and the oxen, but it's very specific, it says that the doves were uncaged. And and the doves were uncaged there because you have to understand, the reason Jesus dealt with it is because he walked into the temple and realized something's off in here. Like I'm here and I'm seeking true worship, but all I'm hearing is conversation, commerce talks, money changers getting their money. I'm not really sensing this is a place of worship. Even though it's a house of worship, the one thing that was missing was worship. And he finds them going through the rituals. And what was missing was genuine, heartfelt worship. Worship, church, is not just a segment of our service. And worship is not limited to just the crazy folk who are a little too passionate for us. Jesus is always looking for true worship. When he walks into a church, he's observing the worship. When he walks into your home, he's looking for worship. When he walks into your life, he's looking for worship. And John 4, he tells us that true worshipers need to worship in spirit and in truth because the Father is looking for those kind of worshipers. But here's where I'm really going to rock your boat. The word worship in John 4, when it says that we need to rise up in true worship, It literally, the Greek word means kiss. Now, it's not any type of kiss. It's not even like the kiss a mama would give to her child. But it's the kiss in the Greek of a dog jumping into his master's lap when he returns home and kisses all over his face. How many's ever had a dog? You'd be gone two minutes and they acted like you were gone two years, right? Because a dog will start running and leaping and kissing you because a, a dog is going to show its affection. And so Jesus is looking for hearts that leap when he walks into the room. 
I want to remind some people that Jesus is in the room. I wonder what our worship looks like. I wonder what our praise looks like. I wonder what, if our hearts are truly leaping. See, God is looking for dog worship, but we offer cat worship. I ain't even playing. I have never seen a cat, when the owner returns home, go nuts, run around the house, jump in their lap, and kiss all over their face. When you walk in to a cat, it looks at you like, if you want some loving, come get it. And the reason is because the cat thinks it's the owner. I wonder if we've turned the kind of worship God wants and desires into cat worship where we come and say, God, if you want some, you need to show up. No, he wants a dog kind of worship. He wants us to leap with expectation. He wants our passion to be at an all-time high. He wants us to get excited about his presence. I'm tired of cat worship in the church. I'm ready for some dog worship. I'm ready for the cages to be uncaged so that the dove, the Holy Spirit, can be uncaged and begin to move like never before. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Some of you are like, what is wrong with him? There ain't nothing wrong. I'm good. Just been with Jesus. So they had to get the altar. They had to... Reinstitute true worship. Number three, tell, tell somebody close to you, he's almost done. Number three, they got organized. They got organized. Organization and order to it. God always does things in an organized way. A highly ordered fashion. In creation, he, he brought cosmos out of chaos. He created the world with perfect symmetry. The Genesis account shows deliberation, coordination, priority, and master planning on God's part. He shows it in creation, but he also shows it in the human body. Our body, uh, a study of our body would show you order and a reflection of our creator. Our body is so highly organized that David said in Psalm 139, he said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. The human body is an illustration the Lord chooses to give definition to the church. Highly organized, incredibly efficient, packed with hope and potential. Oh, that the church would become highly efficient. Packed with hope and potential. See, the church, the body of Christ, must display unity and cohesiveness. The church should be and has to be organized. Our body has to be organized. We know that. But the church is no different. The church must be organized. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, I'm not going to read it all, but the Bible says there rose a complaint in the early church against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so because they were neglected, here's what happened in verse number two of that text. It says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
It's not that they were too good to serve the tables, but for them to leave the word and prayer to go serve the tables meant that we had to become unorganized and not, not have a strategy and not have a plan. But they said, we're going to stay with... Can you imagine pastors today if we said, we're not going to serve the tables because we, that's my prayer time. I can't come out of prayer to do that. We would have church people upset over that. But the Bible says they, they stayed with the word, they stayed in prayer, and then they organized and anointed, I think it was seven men full of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 7 of the text. It says, Then the word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So when they did it God's way and they were organized, what happened was the word of God spread, the number of disciples increased, and key influencers in the city were converted. Anybody ready to see the number of disciples increase in this place? And key influencers in our region give their heart to Jesus. Got to be organized. Got to have a plan. Got to have a strategy. Ephesians 4 model, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that the fivefold ministry is put in place for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Did you know that your calling is not to hold the chair down that you're sitting in? But you have a part to play in the mission and vision of what God is doing here at Bethesda Church. I think it's time that we get our head out of the sand and we get back to helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Come on, somebody. If you believe that it's time for us to help people know God, discover their purpose, find their freedom, and make a difference. So they rebuilt the altar. They reinstituted true worship. They got organized. And the fourth thing, this is so important. They got started. They got started. It says in Ezra chapter 3 verse 10, it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. They began to sing. If you drop on down, it says, yet at the, very, the last verse, yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. I believe there's a, a, a spiritual sound getting ready to be released from this house. And that sound is going to be heard far off. It has been spoken over this place that people would come from a long way just to get into the presence of God and receive their healing from this church in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. It might be an obvious truth, but I want to say it anyway because this is one of the most crucial elements to spiritual and personal growth. You guys can, yeah, perfect. All the planning in the world without implementation is nothing less than an aborted dream and a dying vision. It's been said that getting started on a job is half the work, and the truth is I don't always start jobs but this one thing is certain, I never, I will never finish a job that I refuse to start. So many people are in this season.
my future. And then what we, we're constantly planning to live, but we're planning somewhere in the future. My question today was not what's next. My question today was what's now. Church, are you hearing me? It's not what's next. It's God, what's now? What, what is it that I am to do now? I've got to get started. I, I, I can't just sit by, not utilize my gifts and my talents to further the kingdom. I, I can't just watch other people do it and just cheer other people on and just be thankful that other people are, are involved. But it's time that I get started. Why? Because there's a hero on the inside of you that will never come out until you start stepping into your purpose. There's a man and a woman of vision that's destined for greatness all locked up on the inside of you and will not be uncaged until you get started. You'll never be all that God wants you to be. You'll never do all that He wants you to do until you understand that He has empowered you to get started. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak to every heart in this room. God, I thank you and I celebrate every person God, that is using their gifts and their talents, their anointing to further your kingdom, to advance your kingdom. But God, I pray for those that maybe have not found their place and for whatever reason have not really leveraged what they bring to the table to further your cause. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help them to see, God, that not only spiritual dreams that they have, but God, even personal goals many times are tied to the spiritual passion we have. That you connect kingdom things to our practical lives, God. That as we utilize what you put in us to further your cause, God, that you often get involved in what we're doing. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that every family would find their place. God, I thank you for this text that shows, shows us, God, how God they got organized. They recognize gifts and callings and they place people accordingly. God, I pray over Bethesda Church that this would be our best season ever, that we would become more organized, that we would, we would have better strategies than ever before, not man-made, but God, I pray that you speak to us and direct us like never before. God, get us in the proper placement, God, so that we can see the work of the ministry go forth and lost people being found. In Jesus' name. I pray over our staff and our team first and our team leaders. All those in positions of influence and authority. I speak fresh vision. Clarity in this season. We break every distraction, every hindering voice that would trip us up to keep us from coming into proper alignment. I pray for every one of our staff members and their families. Church, pray with me for our staff. We, we pray, God, that you would protect them. God, that you would bless them. That their children would be blessed. That their health would be blessed. Their finances would be blessed. 
God, we speak life over our team right now, God, and just ask that you would encourage them by your spirit in this season. Give them eyes to see. Give them an ear to hear. God, that it's not what's next, but it's what's now. I pray for every team leader in this church, every person leading ministry. I pray for them and their families. God, we know that anytime we're in influence and anytime we've been given, God, responsibility, the enemy targets. And if he can't get us, he attacks our family. So I command the enemy to take his hold, his hand off of the people of God, off of those that are serving you in this season. God, we break the power of the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we release life and blessing and health. God, I speak over the entire dream team right now, God, that every person that is serving, God, we pray great blessing and authority and vision and health over them in Jesus' name. God, that you would begin to do exceeding and abundant, God, above anything that we can ask or imagine. God, I pray that for the congregation, God, more than this season, let us have eyes for you, Jesus. Let our worship be uncaged. God, let us release the dove, God, through our worship, God, that the Holy Spirit would begin moving like never before, God, that as we worship, bodies are healed. As we worship, addicts are set free. As we worship, those in bondage are free. As we worship, God, lives are changed. God, I break the power of deception. People that are believing a lie to be truth in this season, I command you to be free in the name of Jesus. You're not always going to be in bondage. It's not always going to look like it is right now. It's not always, you're not always going to be frustrated. The enemy wants you to believe it'll always be this way. But we can see in what we preach today, church, that as they began to rebuild, what was destroyed for 70 years began to be restored. And the Bible says that as the foundations were being laid, that the people shouted with a great shout. I'm telling you, the foundation has been laid. I'm saying the foundation has been laid and that we need to be giving God the kind of praise like it's already done. Come on, somebody, give him a praise like it's already done. I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost in this room right now. I'm telling you. I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost in this room. Prayer team, staff, you need to get in place. If I were you, I would not leave this room today without receiving prayer. I would not leave this anointing. I would not leave this atmosphere that if you need prayer, listen, church, the first thing they did was they reestablished the altar. They reestablished the altar. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv/give. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.